Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Erica Monique Evans is originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but now calls Dallas, Texas home. Throughout her career, Monique has obtained industry experience in various financial lines of business. She's an advisor on the Gender Identity and Expression Advisory Committee, which is part of the Pride Enterprise Leadership Team at Wells Fargo. Monique is also a member of the Board of Directors for Resource Center Dallas. She's one of the moderators of An Intimate Conversation with Women of Color, a panel that gives LGBTQ plus women of color and allies a platform to use their voices. Monique sees being black as a dominating lens with which she sees the world. She's been journaling and writing poetry that has been influenced by the church, community, observations, and as being an African-American person in America. She believes if you're steadfast in who you are, it will either draw people to you or push them away. April is National Poetry Month. Monique will be sharing two of her poems based on her life experience, including that of being a black trans woman in America. Monique, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm glad that I have the day off. Kind of. I have the day. I have the day off from my regular job. Um, I have a a litany of things that I need to do personally. Like you know, I'm I'm uh, reorganizing my closet and I'm giving some things that I can't fit to uh, my friends' nieces. Um, and then I recently have taken up cycling, so I'm trying to determine mm. if I want to do that today or tomorrow. The weather is really good. Um. You know, I have this board meeting and some other errands to run, but otherwise, I'm I'm good. It's a, it's a really nice day. It's sunny. You know, no complaints. How about you? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's beautiful. I'm here in Michigan, and you know, I mean, it's really you know, spring is here. I'm happy. You know, I learned of you, you um, through a uh, mutual friend of ours, Deneen, um, and Deneen as uh, runs is head of the founder of intimate conversations of women and you're one of the moderators of the the site her webpage and you know i had talked to her and you know um because i do this and i was saying like you know this is international uh i mean national poetry month and um 
I always bring in a lot of poets, some people who that's what they do. And for poetry, there's a friend of mine who makes his living doing poetry. He says, poetry can be anything, and that poetry is a part of life. And in looking at your background, I mean, you're one of those people who have poetry in your life. How did you come in contact and get involved with an intimate conversation with women of color? I, so I, I work in finance, and I've been in finance for quite some time. And for a while, I've been volunteering because they, they really facilitate uh, a place for us to be involved in the community. And uh, just from my volunteer efforts, uh, I linked up with one of my associates and, you know, we've been, you know, really good friends ever since. And she happened to um, put me in touch with a, a, an organization here, Texas Diversity Council. And I happened to, and they were, they were working um, with AT&T and they happened to have a summit and I was invited and I happened to be in the room, you know, full of the movers and the shakers. And after mm-hmm. the summit wrapped up, you know, I'm I'm networking and I'm, you know, making my way around the room and stuff. And Deneen Garrett does a beeline across the room and she's like, <laughs> I need, she's like, I need you from for my piano. And uh, mm-hmm. so she introduces herself, flaming red hair, big bold smile. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, uh-huh. okay, sure. I didn't know the details about her panel. Um, that was our first encounter. And uh, I just knew that, you know, her passion was, was uh, very evident. Uh, and I just connected with her um, energy. And so I was like, okay, I'm game for it. So when she provided the details, and I took it back to my job because they had to approve, you know, the funding for me to go. It was out of town. It was for an organization called Out and Equal. Um, and Deneen moderates a uh, annual panel um, with regards to uh, women of color, uh, intimate conversation pertaining to women of color. And, and the topic varies depending on the year. The year that I was there, she wanted to have, uh, a variation of voices related to LGBTQ issues. Um, and not just that, but she wanted representation of those who are in the workforce, you know, um, representation of people who uh, have, have made success in their own right and have a voice. And so I made it out there. I was on our panel. It was dynamic. We had a wonderful time, and we've been – synced up ever since and now uh with this pandemic she has taken it a step further and she created a podcast and i believe today is representative of her her anniversary uh, one year anniversary for her podcast um intimate conversation with women of color and that can be found on all platforms and Mm -hmm. so she has a podcast Um, I'm sure that she will continue to do the panel um, in spite of the pandemic and however this is going to play out. She has the um, Facebook page as well as Instagram, social medias. And, yes, she uh, put me on uh, the Facebook page as a moderator. And uh, it's been one of those situations where 
not only are we in this together for this particular cause, but we've been able to befriend each other, as well as the fact that we're from the Midwest. And as you know, there's just a certain type of connection for folks that are from the Midwest. We just have, um, we just have a down home type of personality, and it's just like mm-hmm. in our love, mm-hmm. you know. And it is what what you get type of situation. And and she likes me, and I like her, and we just work well together. And anytime she needs something out of me, and if I'm available, hey, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> She's a mm-hmm. good friend. Now you're a Midwest, like you just said, you were a Midwest girl. You told me you were from Cincinnati. Now you're in Texas. Yes. What's the difference in, you know, because there is something like, you know, she and I live very close together, but there <laughs> is a difference in, you know, like how we relate to each other and yeah. different places. What has that change been like for you to go from the Midwest, besides it being cold in winter, to, to, to Texas? What's that like? All right, so it does get cold here. As we all know, we experience a very bad storm here in Dallas. Um, but that mm-hmm. that's few and far between. It's almost an, it's almost an, an anomaly. But um, to your question about what is it like, especially regarding the differences, um, I noticed that here in the South, uh, especially when I first came down here, um, there's a gray area when you relate to people. Where I'm from is is black and white. You know, either I like you or I don't like you, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And we can move on with our day. We don't have to placate. We don't got to, you know, whatever. Um, and so there was more of a truth factor there, um, as well as the fact that in the Midwest, there's something about, as we all know, especially in the black community, so many of our um, ancestors and, and, and the lineage um relates from the South going up to the Midwest. My people originated Uh in Alabama, and so then they just found their way up to the Midwest by migration. And that's the case for a lot of us. So we have this inherent ability to relate to each other in a way that is soothing to the soul. You know, you see somebody, you greet somebody. I grew up in a church where, like, everybody was related you know, either directly or indirectly, um, and everybody knew each other. I grew up in a community where everybody knew each other. Oh, you're an Evans. Oh, okay. No, not that Evans from the north side. We're the <laughs> Evans from the north side. You know, and oh, your mom is, uh, uh-huh. And so, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have had that upbringing, recognizing that that's not the case anymore for not only the Midwest, but in, in other places, right? And so now being down here, um, I moved to Texas when I was freshly in my 20s. Um, and so I had to get acclimated real quick, not only just to the way that they speak and they relate to each other, but even also the dialect. You know, um, I remember that the accent was a little different when I first heard it, it, I think it subsided over time as, as you know, as well as many other accents, uh, especially if you're a linguist, um, they, they speak to that, the fact that a lot of people are just melding their accents together. Um, but, you know, it was, I think the most difficult time for me, because I have, I have the ability to relate to people, um, or at least I try. 
the the difficult <laughs> time for me was um, moving here and recognizing that I had to re- hit the reset button on how I found a job and mm. how how I relate to people. I relate to people and, you know, I'm I, I'm making my strides and even now, you know, I'm I'm in a milestone birth year. Um and I realize that you have to quote unquote reinvent yourself if you will. Um and there's times where I recognize that again, because I have southern roots by way of my grandparents, there's times where I'll adopt uh, a southern dialect when I'm speaking. Um, my dialect changes depending on who I'm speaking to and where I am. Um, and I make no bones about it because the reality is you want to relate to somebody as best as possible. And I find that it's always good to meet a person on their level. Um, and so I almost act in a way kind of like a salesperson, but then again, we're always, you know, we're all selling ourselves, right? We're all selling a particular image and trying to convey whatever we're trying to convey. So I think of it in that sense. Um, But in the comparison of the Midwest to the South, I honestly do not compare it. Mm -hmm. I learned a long time ago that you have to love and live and and be representative of where you are right here in the moment, Um, especially when it comes to different places and different cultures. And I, I hate when people do that, when people try to compare different cultures be embraceful of where you are. You know, there's no reason. My mom uh, relocated here, and for the longest time, she just could not get it out of her system. Oh, well, they don't do that in Cincinnati. You know, <laughs> da, 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 da. And she would mm-hmm. just compare Dallas to Cincinnati every day, so much so that the first probably two or three years, she had a really difficult time getting adjusted. Versus me, when I came here, I, I was open. I said, I don't know necessarily what's here. I had only been here once. I had never even thought about Texas. That's all another story as to why I ended up here. But I came here with an open mind, and the reality is I knew that I was stepping out on faith and God was going to bless me accordingly. And I had to be open to whatever that blessing might be, however it looks like, and however it's going to be demonstrated. And it happened. I met a lot of good people. Some relationships lasted, some relationships have not. And I took it step by step, day by day. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it is true. I mean, you know, it really is true. You know, you just sort of get there and and you make it your own, you know, because, you know, that's where you're at. Um, When you, have you been home to Cincinnati lately? And does anyone go like, where'd you get that accent? So I, uh, when I first got here, I felt, I felt uh, obligated to go home quite often um, because I wanted to see family. I wanted to just check in, um, and it almost was to my own detriment because the reality is I can count on one hand how many times I've been visited, um, uh-huh. and you know, even though I have welcome arms, like, look, you got a place to stay if you come down. But, you know, many of my cousins who were, like, uh, siblings growing up, none of them have, you know, come down to visit me. And it's just weird. But, yeah, I made it my business to go home, like, at least once or maybe even twice sometimes a year for the first couple of years. 
And then I just, I, I had to rationalize, like, okay, my money could be better spent going somewhere else. It's only so many times I need to go to Cincinnati. Nothing's <laughs> changed. Everything's the same, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then once my mom, I convinced her to move down, and then I convinced my sister to move down. I love my granny and the rest of my family, but there's really ultimately no reason for me to visit on a regular basis. Um, mm-hmm. And we have the video chat and everything like that. Um, and plus, uh, when I go back to Cincinnati, I feel a little weird because nothing's, nothing, there's some things that are the same, but there's so much that has changed so in such a way that I feel like I'm in a different place. Um, and mm-hmm. I had to rationalize within myself that change is good, change is inevitable, and change is weird. Um, and I would go home and sometimes expect things, um, based on, you know, my previous reference of them and how it used to be. And it's like, no, it's not the same. People have changed. Atmospheres change. Um, you know, hopefully the mentality is on a, uh, change in perspective because I know that you know, the mentality there is a little bit different than the South. So I'm going to go back to your question about how it's different uh, in the Midwest versus the South. Um, And I'm only speaking about my experience Mm -hmm. because I know it's different Mm -hmm. for other people. Um, But I've been more welcomed. Well, let me not say that. Um, I haven't had a lot of racial tension in the South. Um, there's a lot more racial tension in the North. Um, and I yep. think I surmise that to be that, especially when I was growing up, right? I spent my whole childhood in the Midwest. And uh, I had a conversation recently with a friend, and uh, I said, I didn't start, you know, having friends or acquaintances outside of the whole black and white thing until I came to the South, until I came Mm -hmm. to Dallas. And I had a little stint in D.C. And, oh, D.C. really opened me up to different, you know, cultures and stuff. But in Cincinnati, it was just black and white. And luckily, I thank God that I'm one of those kind of people. If you ask me, oh, do you have a non-black friend? Yes, I do. And it's Mm -hmm. not... It's not to hype it up. It's not to hype up the conversation and be like, oh, I got a non-black friend. I got a white friend or whatever. No, I have genuine non-black friends, and that's always been the case. But in the Midwest, I grew up, and it was nothing but black and white for me. I think the most profound thing for me, especially in elementary school, was when I found out that one of my classmates was Jewish, and then um, another one of my classmates, was Muslim. That mm-hmm. was like, oh, wow, interesting, right? But in terms of different cultures, you know, Hispanic and just non-black or non-white, I wasn't open to that until I wasn't, I'm not going to say I wasn't open to it. I'm just saying that I didn't experience that until I came to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I first came here, no, my second apartment, I was uh, I befriended this one girl. Her name was Nancy. She was my first Hispanic friend. And so Dallas has just really opened up my world um, to new experiences on, on every landscape you can think of. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, we're going to take a break. 
And when we come back, we're going to sort of talk more about that, but also get into National Poetry Month and some other things that I've learned about you. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I'm talking with Monique Evans. And Monique, one of the things that um, when Denise sent me, you know, she had sent me um, a transcript of the PowerPoint from that conference, and in listening to you, one of the things that that I get about you, because you had talked about how you had gotten laid off from Chase and your your mother encouraged you to wait until after you found a new job and then transition, but you were insistent on presenting yourself as you desired, and you prepared yourself to be rejected. And it sort of sounds like, you know, you're moving forward. It's not, you know, this is who you are, and you're moving forward and being you. You started to, when did you start to write poetry, and did that, help you express that determination that you had to live your authentic life? Okay. So um, a moment of truth. I, t- I okay. used to tell people all the time I got laid off in Chase. I didn't get laid off. I got fired. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was so ashamed because of the way it happened. It was nothing but just hatred. You know, I had some things going on, and I felt under attack. Um and I don't know if it was, you know, I don't, I don't think it was anything related to my sexuality. That whole situation was just weird. Um, but I say all that to say that I've reached a place in my life of true and honest transparency because you got to understand that when you start losing folks, I lost my father last year to COVID, um, and then you experience your own things in life, who cares about what other people think? You just got to move on and and just, you know, do what's best for you. So clear the record on that. Um, To your question related to poetry, so my answer is two-parter. What got me started with poetry, um, I like to think that my ears pick up a lot of things, and we could be in conversation or I might hear something, and it just stands out, and a lot of times I write it down. I, I, I... used to um, take notes every Sunday, you know, listening to the pastor uh, preaching. Well, we got we got to the point where we had a, a preacher who, we had a pastor who was more like a teacher. Um, so I would leave church every Sunday with this book of notes, you know. Um, 
because I wanted to learn, and I've always been enthusiastic about, you know, just communication. And uh, even now, you know, I hear people speaking or there might be something said, and I'm like, oh, that sounds perfect. So I'll just write down the quote. Um, but as it pertains to me, I feel like I was indoctrinated with poetry just growing up Christian um, and the understanding that, you know, when you study the word, so many books in the Bible are poetic. Um, mm. So that, that, I would say, was my true inter- introduction. As well, I'm going to go one step further. My mom introduced me unknowingly introduced me to, you know, blackness because she had, you know, subscriptions of Ebony and Essence, and we lived in walking distance to a library. So my mom would actually take me and my sister to the library, and we would get books, and I've always been a voracious reader growing up, and then also in combination with Ebony and Essence, Essence in particular, because Essence used to have a book list. Um, I don't know if they still do now, but um, I used to always uh, be interested in that. I would check the books out and I would read and there would always be either poetry or short stories and things that would just spark my imagination. Um, And once I reached middle school, and I remember this in particular because uh, I had an English teacher, Miss Schultz, love her to pieces, and she was perfect for my situation because she required us to write short stories. And not only that, but we would have uh, a peer grade our stories. So I was connected with um, a friend that I didn't know would end up being my friend into adulthood. And recently I went through some of my old um, storage stuff and realized that I still have many of these stories and poems and stuff that I wrote in middle school. Middle school was pivotal for me because that was around the time that I started to hormones raging and I'm realizing, okay, what I like and what I don't like and that I'm into boys and, um, you know, how do I fit into uh, the this, this social situation, right, and, and becoming mm-hmm. uh, this this young person. And so when writing was introduced to me in this way like never before and it's not even just that particular class it's what that class unlocked within me to write the short stories and to begin writing poetry and allowing that to be my way of expression um, and getting things off of my chest and out of my brain regardless of whether I wanted those feelings to live with me or whether I wanted to just go ahead and just put it out there and and leave it where it was on the paper. Uh, Because even now I'll I'll go back and read some of my stuff and be like, oh, my God, this is what I was going through and not have a clear connection with it now because I'm a different person. But I'm thankful that that has allowed me to um, better understand myself and mm-hmm. also, in a way, better relate to the world because, you know, you never know who's going to read your writing and who's going to come across your poem or whatever and relate to it um, based on their circumstance. But moreover, for me, it was therapy. And mm-hmm. the reality is I'm, I'm grateful for it, and I recognize that there is no right or wrong way of doing it. I know that some people were educated behind this um, and, and, you know, 
the the styles can vary because I remember um, the first first poet I saw was Saul Williams, and I fell in love with Saul Williams with his gruffy look and his presentation Mm -hmm. and the rawness of his words, and I'm like, that's amazing, but I can't Mm -hmm. Saul Williams. And Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. Nikki Giovanni, and I'm like, oh, I love her. I love her style and how she just commands the. the, the room and and just you know the the um the soberness of her words but I can't be a Nikki Giovanni right so I'm like mm-hmm. I gotta be myself and whatever comes out is what comes out and sometimes I, I can surprise myself and I'm just like okay well we're just gonna go with this because <laughs> this is what's in there so it's just like hello you're introducing mm-hmm. yourself to yourself that that's my circumstance. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, you know how you say you never know where in the world? I love how there aren't any, any real coincidences. So I'm scrolling through your, your page, and I see that you were at Virgil's Gullah Kitchen and Bar. And about maybe three weeks ago, I had Juan Smalls, he and his husband, own Virgil's Gullah Kitchen and Bar. You know? <laughs> and I'm looking at she was right there. What took you to Atlanta, and what were you doing at Virgil's? <laughs> oh, my God. So my sister, whom I love, um, we're nine years apart, and, I mean, I grew up changing this girl's diaper, and I was very influential in her life. And once we, um, once I became of age and moved to Dallas, there was a little bit of resentment on her part towards me. And so I, I realized real quick that I had to um, reconnect with my sister and appreciate and love on my sister. And we built a bond and a relationship as adults. And uh, she moved down here. So now she's here, her and her daughter. She just recently had a daughter um, a few months ago. My niece is three months. And so uh, for the past few years, because me and my sister are so close, we traveled together. That's my traveling buddy. And so she missed mm-hmm. out on her 30th birthday last year. And this year, since things are lightening up and we're feeling a little bit better about traveling, she said, I just want to go to Atlanta. We had already been to Atlanta a few times. I wasn't necessarily gung-ho because there's a lot of things going on in Atlanta that isn't necessarily safe. So I was a little worried. But I, And I normally don't post when I'm out of town. I don't like to let people know my whereabouts uh, for various reasons. And so we happen to be in Atlanta, and I happen to make a little quick small post. And one of my um, colleagues at work um, had posted, she's like, oh, you know, while you're there, go to Virgil's uh, Gullah Kitchen. And I didn't think anything of it. I mean, she's from Georgia, but she happens to live in Texas now. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, if we – you know, make time, we'll check it out, because um, this lo- this place is located by the airport in College Park. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. been to Atlanta so many times, and I've never hung out in College Park, never even thought about it. Uh, normally, I'm in the city, but this time around, it was different, and so this time around, I purposely wanted to go to Atlanta, and it wasn't about, you know, turning up or whatever. I just wanted to just chill, be safe, be mindful of where we were. And I told my sister, I said, you know, my friend recommended this place. Let's check it out, you know, just so that I can say that I did because I trust Don's opinion. 
And so we uh-huh. went there one day. I think it was at the start of our uh, trip. We were only there for like four days or something. And that the food was good. We enjoyed ourselves. They were playing like 90s music. So we were singing to SWV and Escape and stuff like that. <laughs> so we're like, and it was, it was three of us. And so we're like, okay, it was good. Let's come back, you know, probably when it's time to go. Since, again, it's right there by the airport. So it would be real easy to drop the car off when we're done. So we went there. Um, actually, we went there the day before we were leaving town. And so we went there on a Sunday, and we roll up. And, of course, you know, everybody wants to do brunch on a Sunday, especially in a place like that. And, you know, the wait time is just, like, crazy stupid. But we're sitting outside patiently. And the girl, there's a girl with this beautiful dress on, big hair, whatever, and she comes, and then, like, the way they have it set up, we're sitting outside on, like, this bench, but the bench is actually a partition that separates the wall where, you know, it leads from the outside to the inside. So the girl comes, big dress, da-da-da, and she jumps on the bench and hops inside the restaurant. So I'm like, okay, who is she? Come to find out she's a DJ. <laughs> and she's packing up her stuff. And I'm like, oh, are you are you leaving? So I'm like, um, are you leaving? And she's like, yeah, I'm about to leave, but there's going to be another DJ. So I was going to be bummed out, but she's like, you know, there's going to be another DJ or whatever. So I'm like, okay, cool, because we haven't had a chance to sit down and eat our stuff. This was our second time going. And um, the next DJ comes and sets up her little DJ's booth, which you would have thought was there the whole time, the way it was set up and how it looked or whatever. She brought in all this equipment. And by the time um, there was the opening at the bar, which I love sitting at the bar so you can, you know, befriend the bartender and you can get better drinks. And um, next thing I know, it went from a restaurant to a club. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. (laughs) And then they had had karaoke. And so Mm -hmm. my sister loved karaoke. So it was just happenstance that everything worked out. It was just amazing. And everybody was just so cool. And you know how a lot of people are saying, oh, COVID doesn't exist in Atlanta. Well, baby, you couldn't have told me anything different because, (laughs) thank God, we made it back safe. Nobody caught anything. Mm -hmm. It's been like almost a month, so we're good. But when I tell you, if you would have been there, you would have thought this whole thing was pre-COVID because everybody was just so, like, I guess we all needed that moment. Everybody was just so, like, um, community-oriented and just singing and laughing and having fun, and the libations were flowing, so that made it even better. Mm-hmm. I had a wonderful time. That's an awesome uh-huh. place. <laughs> and you know what? And, and I mean, I'm going to tell Juan about this because that's some of the things that he talks about, about that being community and doing it. And I thought, and it was funny before I saw this, I thought about you because we were talking about language and people coming from different places. And one of the things, Juan is from L.A. His husband was originally from Charleston, South Carolina, and it's Mm. named after his father. And all the recipes and everything were his father's. And they talked about, you know, how getting used to, like, how it is in different, you know, pieces, but then making it your own. And that's what they did. They brought a little bit of that and to make it their own. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm going like, is she at an open mic night? I said, he didn't tell me they were going to do open <laughs> mic. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, but it, I mean, like I said, it, it just never ceases to amaze me how 
you know how they say that people we're all really connected. There's no really degree degrees of separation. Really, like I knew Deneen. I asked Deneen. Deneen told me about you. I had just talked to Juan. You've just been there. I mean, so it's just like so amazing. But you that's happenstance in and of itself, the fact that you reached mm-hmm. out to Deneen at the time that you did. Because the thing is, I hadn't even known about April being po- Poetry Month, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I just found out prior to April, I didn't know that that was the case. Um, but I just happened to stumble across, oh, April is Poetry Month or whatever. And so mm-hmm. I was just like, hmm, I'm poetic. And you yes, know, I love poetry, and so I was like, I got inspired. Number one, and I was like, let me go ahead and you know see if I still got my chops. And so that mm-hmm. same moment, I created a poem that I happened to post um, on my socials, and mm-hmm. then either the next day or so, I, I think I had a conversation with my grandmother, and uh, we always have really good conversations. I mean, we could last about an hour, two hours, whatever, right? And I love her as well as the one that I lost, Norma and Anne. And so I was so inspired that in that moment, I wrote another poem dedicated to both of my mm-hmm. grandmothers. And I posted that one on my socials. So that happened mm-hmm. before you had even reached out to Deneen. I don't think Deneen knew that I was uh, a poet uh, prior mm-hmm. to that. So everything was just happenstance on that. So when you would reach but, out and you think, oh, Deneen told me about you, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> just, just think had I just kept my poems to myself, Deneen wouldn't have known to tell you about me. But you know what? I'll tell you. Um, cause I'll tell you, I have uh, a friend, you know, because I do poetry sometimes amongst everything, and I have a friend here who really runs a lot of open mics and has written a lot of books. His name is Cesar, and he says how, Poetry can be anything. And as I was listening to you talk about the things that you wrote and how they were poetic and and how you're poetic and how you do things in your own way, there is no, and he'll always encourage people, there's no right or wrong way to do poetry. It is about expressing what's in your heart, in your words, and Mm -hmm. in your tone, how that might reach out and touch somebody who's on that same wavelength. So I'm going to take a break, and then I want to talk about your poetry and have you give us a couple of poems. How's that sound? Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Monique, 
Okay, now you know you got to give me some poetry. And um, did you do you find, you know, you said, because that's one of the things I've seen, like some of the things that you posted, which really seemed to me like from the heart. Um, have you looked back at some of your old things and now see it through a different light? And... Um, and is it still relevant, or have you gone back and, and maybe like, changed it a little bit to where you are today? I wouldn't change a thing other than just um, the flow of it and, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe adding or taking away a word or two here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the overall tone and the representation and what it means, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, the overarching theme of all of my writing has always been about my passion and my love and my love life or lack thereof and my searching Mm -hmm. and wanting of uh, just completion, right? As as we know, as I know it to be um, within this experience called life thus far. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful, number one, that, you know, so many people have had situations, whether fires, whether moves or whatever. But I was like, oh, my God, I still have, like, this container full of of all these writings from middle school. That says a lot about Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That says a lot. But um, so I I go over my stuff, and I'm like, oh, man, I remember this, and I remember kind of what was going on at this time. And, uh, you know, there was a moment where I did start to um, put some of my poems online back when we still have, like, Black Planet. And uh, it got a lot of really good uh, reception. I remember at the height, um, I had over 300,000 viewers or something, like, to my page. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Um but then I just took it all down because I just I, I didn't want to be connected with that. And so, um, and plus I was going through some things. And again, like poetry has just really been my therapy. And it's one thing to have a therapist, but um, as we all know, you know, um, that's a whole nother ball game. But at least in my situation it was because there was this one therapist I was trying to connect with, and she's a little cuckoo. And I'm just like, okay, girl. Mm-hmm. No, she has her license, I guess. But um, <laughs> um wow. I was, just, I, you know, they say that it's important for everybody to do, and I think that it is. But it's a step further. It's not just about talking to this person that's not you. It's not just talking to this person who's licensed and, you know, approved by the state or the government. It's also about doing your work, the introspective work, and determining what's in here and what do I need to work on and what do I need to fix because it doesn't matter what anybody says if you're not willing to take up that challenge and and determine what's best for you going forward. Um, And, again, so poetry has always been therapeutic for me. It's always been um, cathartic, and whether poetry or short stories. So I, I love it, and I wouldn't change a thing. I recognize that now my perspective is a lot different and so I'm really right now challenged to find my flow. It was Uh easier when I was younger um, and, and I was just more, I recognized that I was more open 
to being expressive then, especially with regards to pen and paper. Now that I'm older, I've been so indoctrinated, you know, with adulthood and, you know, working for corporations and biting my tongue on a lot of things and being representative of different entities that I, I'm reintroducing myself to myself and saying, okay, where's my voice? What is my voice? Um, In an authentic manner. Um, and not just for social issues, but what do I want to say about me and for me? And if you mm-hmm. happen to correspond with that, then that's great. But otherwise, it really doesn't matter to me because, again, this is my therapy. I'm just sharing mm-hmm. it with you. And you think you'll ever write a book? I, you know what? <laughs> a publish your poetry in a book? I've been told to. I have a problem with uh, overanalyzing things, and I recognize that there's a lot of people who have books that are, you know, spaced out or, you know, they'll format the pages in such a way so that they can really get a a decent-sized book with not a lot of words. Um, Because I question, like, I think, when I first thought about the aspect of writing a book, you know, I was thinking about, you know, the big books, right? And and some mm-hmm. of the stuff, like a ton of words, and you just go through this whole process or whatever where you spend like two or three years really just compiling it all together. And mm-hmm. I recognize that there's a variation on how you do what you do and whatever is for you. So, yeah, I think it is possible for me to write a book, Um I just want to um, get in the right headspace for that, um, mm-hmm. have a time frame on it, but I definitely want to get that established. At one point, I was seeking out publishers, um, and then I was going the route of self-publishing, and I know that Amazon has um, methods available that make it a lot easier, especially now that we do mm-hmm. the e-book. So, yeah, I want to mm-hmm. do it. I want to do it. Cool. I, you know, I'm going to send you in an email the name of a publisher who has also worked with someone who's, who's there in the Fort Worth area. Her name is, I know she's a, she performs under Passion the Lioness. She's a poet. But I'm going to send you his information too. And before I have you do some poetry, I don't know if you know Andrea Jenkins. Andrea Jenkins is on the, she's a vice chair of the city council in Minneapolis. Um, she was the first trans woman elected to that type of position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I met her, okay, she's also a poet. And when I met oh. her, I, I met her at a conference, and she had a book that she had put together. It was called The Tea is Not Silent. And, it, I mean, it was, uh, she had oh, done it herself. Oh. And, and um, then later on, she, she later on republished it but added to it. But one of the mm-hmm. things that she said was that being a poet and thinking about your words, now when she's in the city council and now, I mean, with everything that's going on with that trial on, you've seen her on TV, it makes her think about her words and the impact her words yeah. can have on other people. Mm-hmm. So... You think about that. You've got, you got words that, that need to get out there and be said. So now, um, I know you have another appointment to go to, but could you give us one or two of your poems 
Yeah, I would love to. So I wrote a new poem, right? So I'm good with that one. But then I was thinking, like, oh, do I want to go back and, like, uh, recite one of my old poems that I hadn't really decided on? I hadn't landed on which one I wanted to go over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, whichever moves you. I'm going to recite this one because, again, I'm always, I think it's the Scorpio in me, and they say that we're <laughs> connected to Venus and love and all that good stuff because I'm, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people look at me as being, like, hard, but I'm very mushy. Um, oh, my God, I'm so pink on the inside, right? Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll do this one. She blew kisses in no particular direction. She simply blows them. Her optimism is high, hoping one day that he may follow the trails of kisses and embrace her with the long-awaited passion that she desired all this time. So she sat and blowed kisses, all the while believing that he'd catch them eventually. Wow. Well, hopefully, that, that hopefully he'll catch those kisses. Mhm. Mhm. I mean, you know, that is so beautiful. I mean, like, who can't, you know, you can close your eyes and see that, you know? You can close your eyes and see that. Do you have time for one more? I do. Um, it's on my phone, so I'm going to recite right. it from my notepad. Okay. And do you need me to send these to you in written form? Oh, that would be lovely. Okay. I'd be happy to. This one, I I called it Oasis, and it came to me, I think, like two days ago. Not sure how much of a choice I really had. My imagination is cursed. Bewitched to envision an oasis in desert land. I'm alone, but not by myself. The trance is on you, too. Even if your land is not the same desert. Sand without beach is still created by the divine, right? Contrary to the belief of some, this land is not barren. I bet you couldn't count all the existing desert plants. Do you know the full word for cactus? Cacti. Yeah, maybe that's what I am. Created to be resilient in a circumstance deemed desolate by others. Maybe our personal thrive can be direct opposite, yet still doesn't diminish the level of meaningfulness to our individual experiences, individual experiences grouped in a collective manner. Maybe I'm a scorpion seeking to simply survive and occasionally dance with a good partner. And if that's not you, please keep your feet my sand. Oh, no, I agree. I'm giving you snaps, girl. I'm giving you snaps. I'm Thank giving you. you snaps. Oh, my God, you're taking it back. So um, when I was still in Cincinnati and I switched churches around the age of 18, I, I grew up in, you know, the family church and stuff, Greater Liberty, and then I moved. Um, I moved out of my mom's place, and I moved to the other side of town, and I started going to Christ Emmanuel, met this girl named Rashonda, and we started going to open mics together. And she was she became like a writing buddy. 
I mean, not mm-hmm. only were we writing poetry separately, but then we started writing songs together and performing them too. <laughs> it was amazing. That was a wonderful time in my life. Well, you know, in the near future, you know, I, I'm always thinking ahead. In the near future, hopefully before um, next month, next year, this time, because um, I interview a lot of poets and. I'm going to try and do like a virtual open mic thing, and I hope that you will participate. I would love to because I am challenging myself to reconnect with myself um, on this new and and more so on this new playing field. Um, As an Mm -hmm. adult, and again, in this milestone year, I'm about to be 40, uh, recognizing that life happens regardless of whether you want to participate or not. So share your story. There's so much mm-hmm. wonderfulness to, you know, sharing your story. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's great when other people connect with it, but more so it's about you connecting with your story and be like, damn, I've really gotten over mm-hmm. some things, haven't I? I'm still here. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> and you know what, and that's what many people need to hear as we do this to recognize, you know what, you can go through some things, but if you're still here, you know, you're still here. And that means that more, more, there's more ahead. Well, Monique, I want to thank you for being a guest. Um, I hope you'll stay in touch. I mean, as we've talked about, there's so many things that I want to share with you. So maybe sometime when you have some time offline, we can sit, just sort of sit and talk. Um, you are phenomenal. Um, oh, thank your you. words, your words are as beautiful as your spirit. I appreciate that, and uh, maybe one day we can uh, get some lunch or something. I do plan to come up to Detroit at some point. Yes. Yeah. Well, grab the knee. Yeah. We're gonna have us a good yeah. time. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to thank my guest this National Poetry Month, Erica Monique Evans. Monique has been writing since her youth. She believes if you're steadfast in who you are, it will either draw people to you or push them away. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.